Well, good morning, Access Church. How are we? Good to see everybody today. Glad you're here. Have you all seen the television series, The Chosen, yet? Have you guys watched any of those? It is a historical drama series that follows the life and ministry of Jesus and the interaction that he has specifically with his apostles. It obviously takes some liberties with the story because it seeks to give some backstory and, and also his interactions with the apostles, but that doesn't really bother me. I think people can understand uh, what it is and they can enjoy it for what it is. But what I really like is the fact that so many people are interested in the life and story and ministry of Jesus. In fact, uh, as of last May, the series had over 400 million views. And according to Wikipedia, it has been translated into as many as 600 languages. And so when Josh and Connor and I started to plan for the series that would take us up to Easter, we thought, let's do a series called The Chosen. Now, in the TV series, they specifically focus on the chosen being the chosen disciples who are then, it's from their perspective. What we are doing is saying, let's focus on the chosen one, Jesus of Nazareth, and let's look at his story through the eyes of different people that were there during the time of Jesus. So we're going to look at some characters that maybe you wouldn't expect. We're going to look at Pilate, who condemned Jesus, the thief on the cross, who was transformed by Jesus, the Roman centurion who crucified Jesus, Mary Magdalene who worshiped Jesus, and more. And what I love about this series is that so many of the different people who encountered Jesus represent who we are. It represents how we approach Jesus, and we're going to look at it from both a negative and a positive side as we go through this, and we're going to try to be the ones who see who Jesus is, and we're going to learn about ourselves, and we're going to learn about him. And today, we're going to talk about a real character. His name is John the Baptist, who prepared the way for Jesus. And how many of you know preparation is so important? We tell our kids, you need to be prepared for that big test. If you're at work, we think, we've got to be prepared for that huge presentation. If you're going on a trip, you've got to prepare your car for the trip, get it all ready. If the grandparents are coming over, you've got to prepare their bedroom for them. Preparation is so important. Think about it. How would you prepare if a special guest was coming over for a visit? Would you clean the house? Would you dress nicely? Would you prepare a nice meal? Would you break out mamaw's fine china? How would you prepare if you were bringing a baby home for the first time? Would you start to nest? Would you prepare the nursery? Would you install a crib? Would you sanitize the bathroom? Or think about it. How do you prepare yourself? How do you prepare your kids for college? How do you prepare your kids for life? Now, that's a big topic. We could preach a series just on that. How do you prepare them to be people of character who love Jesus, who are confident in the face of uncertainty, who are bold yet humble in the face of pressure? Kids who know who they are. Preparation is so important. But imagine this. What if you were told your job is to prepare for the coming of Jesus? What if, I, what if you had to set the stage for the coming of Jesus? That was the role of John the Baptist. And in Matthew chapter 3, it begins his story. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness in Judea, 
Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. John the Baptist's role was literally to prepare the way for the Lord. And, and by the way, he's not somebody that most of us would have chosen to prepare the way. He's not somebody who would have made it through the initial interview. I mean, on the surface, John the Baptist seems like the last guy that you would ever choose or select. In fact, Matthew chapter 3, verse 4 says about him, John's clothes were made of camel's hair. He had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locust with wild honey. Luke chapter 1, verse 8 tells us that he grew up in the wilderness. And that immediately makes me think that this guy needs a bath. He's in the wilderness all of his growing up life. He is eating locusts and he's wearing camel's hair. I ate a cicada one time. It was for a huge children's event that we had. And, and some silly children's minister got up and said, Hey, listen, our pastor, Stephen, if you raise this amount of money for the missions that we're trying to serve, he will eat a cicada. It was a brilliant idea on their part. And it was, it was a little crunchy. I don't remember what the good cause was that we were serving that year, but they did raise enough money. And I guess, though, maybe... They wanted to help them more because the next year, that same children's director got up and said, this year, if you raise this amount of money, our pastor Stephen is going to eat a live worm. One guy advised me, eat it whole. And I was like, no way, man. I do not want that thing like wiggling around in my stomach. Not going to happen. And so I chewed it thoroughly. Is that worse? Is that worse? I don't know. And, uh, but, but it tasted like dirt, slimy dirt. And so I have maybe a small, tiny window into the life of John the Baptist, but this is what he lived on. He ate locusts and honey, and we are introduced to this very interesting character at, at his birth, actually. The same angel, Gabriel, that visited Mary also visited uh, Mary's cousin, Elizabeth. And he said to Zechariah, I mean, he said to Zechariah, his father, he said, listen, your wife Elizabeth is going to bear a son. And that was amazing because Elizabeth was barren at the time. And sure enough, God gave Zechariah and Elizabeth a son. He was going to be called John. And his story is told in Luke chapter 1, verse 13. The angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you're to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord, their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the sight and power, in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and their disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. John the Baptist, this interesting, committed, locust-eating, possibly needing a bath, wilderness man, became the one that was used by the Lord to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus. And friends, if you haven't realized it by now, 
You are John the Baptist. Every day, if you don't know it, you are setting the stage for people around you to meet Jesus. You are setting the table. You are preparing the soil. You are making the introduction. Your children will know Jesus because of your introduction. Your coworkers will be more interested in Jesus because of how you conduct a business transaction. Your friends will be impacted by the way you live, by how you deal with conflict, and by how you love them. And today, what I'm going to do is show you how John the Baptist was used by God to prepare the way for the Lord and how we also can, can have these same characteristics in the lives of your children, your coworkers, your friends, and other people you know that need Jesus. Here's the first thing that John did. He had a sense of urgency. Luke chapter 3, verse 3 says, He went in all the country and around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall be made straight, the rough ways smooth, and the people will see God's salvation. And then Mark chapter 1 verse 5 says, The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John the Baptist was aware of the urgency to prepare people for the coming of Jesus. I don't think that he sat around and thought to himself, oh, maybe someday, if I get around to it, I will think about possibly, maybe if the moment seems exactly right, looking for a way to tell people about the coming of Jesus into their life. No. He was a voice calling in the wilderness, and the voice said, Every valley will be filled in, every mountain will be made low, every rough way will be smooth. John's message was this, the Messiah is coming to do what man cannot do. Jesus is coming to take broken things and fix them. He is coming to take things that seem impossible, the mountains that are too high, the, the rivers that are too high, the valleys that are too low, the rough ways that are too rough, and he is here to make them possible. Jesus, friends, still fixes broken things. And I love how Josh last week went around this room with a microphone like Oprah Winfrey and asked you guys this phrase, because of Jesus, because of Jesus, he forgave me. Because of Jesus, I have hope for eternity. You said, because of Jesus, he healed my family. Because of Jesus, he healed my body. Because of Jesus, he helped me overcome an addiction. Because of Jesus. Jesus still fixes broken things. Listen to me, friends. I believe with all my heart that whatever the question is, Jesus is the answer. He is the answer to our anxiety problem because he offers peace that passes understanding. He is the answer to our self-esteem problem because you realize you're a child of the king. He is the answer to your relationship problems because he teaches us how to love. He is the answer to our temptation problems because he gives us power to say no. He is the answer to our sin problem because he died on the cross for our sins and gives us hope for eternal life. His word gives us instruction 
on how to live, how to live with a character, how to deal with our finances, how to serve people, how to raise your children, how to have a godly marriage. God gives us the instruction. And because you have experienced his incredible power, this incredible deliverance, this incredible healing, this incredible realization that Jesus fixes broken things, how can you not share that? I have been inspired by the movements that are starting around this country and around the world. And I'm acknowledging the fact that most of those movements are starting in the young people. They're starting with people who are looking for something different. I think that right now there is a great awakening that's beginning to happen. And it's happening because Generation Z is realizing that this, whatever has been going on in the last generation is not working. That the kind of polarization and the kind of challenges and the kind of craziness that has been happening is not working. I love what my brother said recently. If they get you to believe in crazy things, then they'll get you to believe anything. I think we have to be careful. I think that we have to be people that are saying, God, we need a new way. And I love the message of John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, which was repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And the word repent means you were going one way and now you needed to go another way. You were going this way, it was the wrong way, and I think that is what's happening in our generation. As young people in particular are looking and saying, the way that is happening right now does not seem to be getting anywhere. It doesn't seem to be helping us. It doesn't seem to be the right way. And Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Go this direction. And we are praying that God would have a breakthrough, that there would be a new awakening. And you should be praying the same. A sense of urgency that says in our culture, in our generation, that our God is going to do something great in the hearts of people to fix broken things. Now, as we present that message, I think we should do it, secondly, with a posture of humility. And I love that John the Baptist was so humble before the Lord. Mark chapter 1, verse 7 says, And this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. As strange and as bold as John was, he understood that he was just the messenger. That Jesus Christ, when he compares himself to him, he's not even worthy to untie his sandals. He's not even worthy to untie or to strap up his sandals. And it is so important as we prepare the way for the Lord that we have a posture of humility. I think the biggest turnoff for people when you're talking to them about the Lord or about anything is somebody who's a know-it-all. That is so annoying. If they have an attitude of superiority, I just shut them out. Is anybody else like me? And if you're going to tell other people about what God has done, it has to be done in a spirit and posture of humility. And I think one of the best ways to do that is to simply listen. We've always heard the quote, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that's true. And that's the reason that everything that we do here at Axis is based on relationships. It's not based on hey, let's have the best show or let's have the best whatever, let's have the best event or the best program. It's based on the idea that we are not here to put on 
excellence in all those ways. We are here to create excellent environments where people can build bridges, where they can get to know each other in their community group, their core group, at the fitness center, maybe in drinking coffee, or maybe as they interact here at church. We want to foster relationships with people. We want to create and have environments where people can get to know each other and build lifetime relationships that are changing for their life, that, that are impactful for their life. And in order to do that, we have to be humble as we listen to people. That's one of the best ways to interact with people. And I love what John the Baptist did before the Lord. He realized that Jesus is the one. Jesus is the chosen one. And in Matthew chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need, you to, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? And Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. John said, no, you should baptize, I should baptize, you should baptize me. I'm not worthy to baptize you. I'm not worthy to do this, Jesus. I can't be used by you in this way. I feel like that sometimes. During the Fearless series at the beginning of the year that we kicked off about Joshua, we were going through some particularly challenging things in our life and world at home. And during that time, I'm up here preaching on being fearless, but the whole time I'm fearful. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? That God has called me to like present His message. I never ever have wanted to be, as some people say, we put our pastor on a pedestal. Don't do that. And I, I want to be relational and real, and so because of that, oftentimes I, I, I try to knock that thing down so that you don't have those expectations. But I'm reminded of the, the words in the Scripture and that, that just say that God uses broken pots to give living water. And I've talked to Josh about this because you guys know he went through his own difficult challenges last year, and yet we're called to continue to get up here, present the message, present the message, and present the message. And that is a particular challenge when you don't feel like, or you don't feel worthwhile, or you don't feel worthy to be able to present that message, and then you just say, God, I don't feel worthwhile. I'm a broken pot. But God, would you just use me today? Just use the words. And do what John did. John consented. He just said, Jesus, I'm not worthy, but I'm going to do it. I don't feel good about it, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to present. And I think sometimes people don't share the powerful message of Christ. And maybe this is you because they don't feel worthwhile. They just blew it last week. And so they come up and say, well, I, don't, I can't share Christ with people because I don't have it all together. Don't let that be a barrier. Listen to the words of John where he says, then John consented. Now, for me, when I'm talking to people about the Lord, it usually happens in a couple ways when I realize this is a God moment. Number one, inside my gut, and it's hard to describe this, but I get the sense that I need to do something. I feel it inside. I don't hear an audible voice from the Lord just saying, you better do this now, but I have this deep sense inside of my heart that I need to do something now that I need to talk to this person, that I need to stay for just a moment and say, I need to pause from the schedule and focus on that individual and talk to them directly, listen to their needs. And by the way, sometimes people expect the pastor to have touches for everybody every Sunday, and some guys do it that way. I don't do it that way. 
if you catch me out here and you have a challenge or a particular need, there might be a hundred other people that walk by me in that conversation. I might give a nod or a wave or a hi, but whoever I'm talking to in that moment is the most important person in the world. And by the way, next week, you might be the most important person in the world. But to me, that matters. Those moments matter. Same thing at the gym. Same thing at the coffee shop. Same thing when I interact with people out in the world. That in those moments, stopping, sensing it in my spirit, this is a moment that I need to pay attention to. The other thing is, you got to follow through on that. When you have that feeling, you got to go, this is a moment that I need to be asking questions. And you say, well, how do I bring God into it? Why don't you just ask him, hey, once you've listened to them, why don't you just say, hey, can I pray for you? It's one of the best ways to do it. Just say, hey, can I pray for you? That gives you an opportunity to speak spiritual truth into their life about what God can do for them. We need to be humble, but we also need to be bold. And that seems to be a contradictory point to point number two, but it doesn't. You can be humble, but there are times where you also need to be bold, in particular in the face of adversity. Listen to what happens in Matthew chapter 3, verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, John said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Now that is a bold way to start a sermon. I usually start with, good morning, Axis. How are we? I don't usually go, you're a bunch of brood of vipers. But there are times when we must declare the truth with boldness. I think that a lot of times, because the Bible emphasizes love God and love people, and emphasizes the humility of Jesus, that we think that that must be the way that we approach every interaction. That somehow we have to be just kind of weak people who let people walk over us. But remember, Jesus, our Lord, our leader, our Savior, He's the one who told the Pharisees over and over again, you're whitewashed tombs. He's the one who condemned them for the way that they treated people. Jesus is the one that said, if you harm a child, it'd be better if you had a big rock thrown around your neck and you were thrown into the deepest sea. People say, oh, that's so aggressive. The point is, don't mistreat children. When When his house, his temple was being mistreated, he overturned the tables of the money changers who were using the influence of the temple to steal the money from people, and Jesus would have nothing to do with that. We need to be willing, in the face of mistruth and dishonesty and things that are happening in our culture that are not true, to be willing to say, that's not okay. And we as a church have to be willing to know who we are and stand firm in that. Last week at the Middletown campus, I was in a conversation in the back of the room, and I was just talking to somebody, and a guy came up to me. I'd seen him there several times, did not know him personally, but I'd seen him. We'd talked a few times and encountered one another. It all seemed fine. He came up to me, and he smacked me on my arm. 
And he started, are you the preacher? Of course he knew I was. But in that moment with the tone of his voice, I was kind of thinking about saying, no, Connor is. <laughs> Connor, his name's Connor. He's a new campus pastor here. Go talk to him. And I said, yes. He said, are you the preacher? He said, are you going to be doing the preaching today? I said, yes. He said, are we going to do all that singing like we normally do? I thought he was joking. I was like, well, yeah. He said, I don't want all that singing. I came to be fed, he told me in a very loud voice. Now I realize he's serious. I came to be fed. And so, how would I react in that moment? I said, well, you need to read the story of the life of David, who worshiped the Lord with all of his heart. And you need to read the book of Psalms, which is all about praising the Lord. And we're not going to change who we are. He went right over his wife, snapped his fingers, gave a motion, and said, we're out of here. And he walked off in a huff. And as he walked out, one of our children's people in the back hallway saw this couple walking out, all upset. Well, at least the husband was. I don't think the wife actually wanted to leave. But he was all upset. And our children's worker, unbeknownst to her, she had no idea about this conversation, said to them in a joking manner, well, you're going to miss the best part. What, did you just come from the call for the coffee and donuts? <laughs> uh, they didn't like that. <laughs> and uh, they walked out. But, you know, we know who we are as a church. We're going to preach the word. We're going to praise the Lord. We know what we believe about the Bible. And I've just learned there are times where people come in with different agendas or different thoughts. And we're not going to be, as the Bible says, a ship that is tossed to and fro by the waves where we don't really know what we believe and somebody else is going to try to dictate to us how things should go. Not everybody's going to like it, and that's okay, but we know who we are, and you have to know who you are. you got to know what you believe. you got to know why you believe it. You have to know what the Word of God says so that when the world tells you this crazy idea or that crazy idea or this kind of thing or that kind of thing, and you're like a ship on the water and you don't know what you really think, you need to figure out what you believe and why and then stand for the truth. Now, do I like the fact that that guy left? No. Did it throw me off at the beginning of my message? A little bit. A little bit. But... Do I want him to come back? Sure, if he wants to. But I want him to come back in a way that's humble, that's right. That's the right attitude and the right heart, and then let's march together. If you're not marching with us, if you're not marching with us in the, in the purpose and intention of Jesus, then you're marching a different direction, and that's not helpful for anybody. So be bold. Be bold. Be willing to give tough truth, but do it in a loving way. If I ever give tough truth from the pulpit, it's because I care about you. Those of you who are parents today, you ever have to give tough truth to your children? Well, sure you do. But you want to say it in a way that's loving and kind, but also tells them the truth. And I think as things happen in our culture, parents, you have to be willing. I don't care what they said in your workplace, and you've got to do this or think this way or do this way. You need to know what you believe according to the Scripture, and you need to tell your children, this is what we believe. This is what we stand for. This is who we are. Be bold. 
but also live a life of consistency to the very end. Matthew 11 tells us that John the Baptist was in prison. His faith in Jesus and bold stands were getting him in trouble with the powers that be. And when he was in prison, somebody asked Jesus about John the Baptist. And this is what Jesus said in Matthew 11, 11. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there is not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. In other words, the best of the best person on this earth is not better than those who are in heaven or on their way to, or when they get to heaven, because in heaven we will have that righteousness of God. Jesus is our advocate. He is our forgiver. And, and he said, even though how great John is in heaven, the least person in heaven, he said, is, not, is, greater, is greater than John. But then he said, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence. And violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who has come. In the Old Testament, they prophesied a new Elijah who would tell about the Lord, who would prepare about his way, would come. And that new Elijah is John the Baptist. He was the one who was telling the people about Jesus. He had one purpose in life, to point people to Jesus. Think about his life. It was a special birth, birth born to Zechariah and Elizabeth. And then after that, raised in the wilderness, here is a guy who lived off the land. Here is a guy who ate locusts and honey and had a camel for clothes, and, and, he, and, he, and he probably needed a bath, and yet here he is. He shows up on the scene. All of Jerusalem is wrecked, and he begins to tell the story of Jesus. His entire job was to prepare the way for the Lord, and then he died. In fact, Matthew chapter 14 says, that while he was in prison, that Herod the Tetrarch, or the governor, had a brother named Philip. Philip had a wife named Herodias. Herodias did not like John the Baptist. And one day, Herodias' daughter was dancing at a party for Herod the governor. And he loved it so much that he said, whatever you want, I'll give you. And she turned to her mother, and her mother whispered in her ear, in her ear and said, Ask him for the head of John the Baptist. And sure enough, on a platter, they brought the head of John the Baptist. And that began the crucifixion or the Passion Week of Jesus, the hardest week of Jesus' life, where John the Baptist was beheaded, his great cousin, and, and he was beheaded. And yet you think about it, John lived his life all the way to the point of death on purpose. The Bible says about David the king that he served his purpose in his generation and then he died. And that's the way John the Baptist was. That's the way John the Baptist was. He served his purpose. He prepared the way of the Lord and then he died. He prepared the message of Jesus and then he died. And I think that's the way all of us should be, that we live our lives knowing who we are, living on purpose, looking for opportunities to prepare people around us to hear the message of Jesus of Nazareth. This uh, past week, we went to Hillsboro, Ohio, because that's where my Uncle Everett was from. 
and Everett was a good, godly man, and he is the husband of my dad's sister, Levon, and he passed away, and so uh, they came back into Hillsboro, and we had the funeral, and my mom was there, and myself, my brother Mark, and also Jonathan's wife, Julia, and we went to see the funeral, and it was a great uh, service and celebration of his life. He's a believer in Jesus. But while we were there, we went and we saw the different places, and mom was retelling us stories, and she said, that's the house right there that Grandma, Grandpa, Sam's, they were living in when I met your dad, and that's the house right there, and we drove over, and, and we saw another house, the brick house. That's the house they built in the 1970s, and they showed us the land that we used to hunt on. That's the land right there that we all used to hunt on, and, and uh, we still, my mom still owns that 10 acres, and down below that's the little river, and they said, that's the land we used to fish on, and my mom was very nostalgic thinking about these things, missing my dad because all four of his siblings were there, and he's not there. And, uh, and yet, all of these stories reminded me of my grandpa, my dad's dad. And as we're driving around thinking about him, he, he was one of the most gentle men ever. He, he was hard of hearing, and it got worse and worse and worse over his years. And, and he would look at you and tell you, I, I can't really hear you, but he could read your lips. And so you could kind of have a conversation. One time he was at a sermon that I preached, and uh, he was there, and I preached. And on the way out, he, he grabbed me and gave me a big hug. And he said, Stephen, that is the best sermon I have ever heard, and I couldn't hear a word of it. And what he was saying was, I could see the hearts of the people moved, and, and so that touched him. And, and, uh, but he was a great evangelist. He was a John the Baptist of his day. He, he would go around to different, just look for opportunities all the time. And, and, and one of them was he drove down the road and he needed a woods mower. He was a farmer. And he saw this woods mower at a guy's house. And so he stopped in, knocked on the door, and, and, and he, he negotiated with the guy. And he's going to buy that woods mower. But in the process, he said to him, hey, do you know Jesus? And the guy said, well, my wife's a Christian, but we haven't gone to church in years, so on and so forth. And he said, well, I can't really hear you, but can I bring my Sunday school teacher over and he'll talk to you? And he said, well, sure. And so he brings them over and they have a conversation. And lo and behold, it's not very long before that couple, him and his wife, they start coming to church, the Buford Church of Christ. And eventually then that, that couple came to Jesus. They were baptized into Christ. All because one man who was looking for a woods mower bought that woods mower and ended up giving something much greater in return, eternal life, to the husband and the wife on his deathbed. My grandfather, I was telling him a story in the hospital. I was telling him about church and how things were going, et cetera, et cetera. This is back several years ago now. And I was telling him about how good things were going and certain programs that were happening. And he pulled me very close to himself. And he said, Stephen but how many baptisms have you had? In other words, the programs are great, the events are wonderful, but how many people have come to Christ? He was a John the Baptist. He did it in a very gentle way, but he was a John the Baptist, telling bold truth in a humble way, but loving people, teaching me, and this is, this is the call for all of us. To say, how can I live my life every day to prepare people's hearts to know Christ? That we would prepare the way of the Lord. God help us today to be that kind of person. The kind of person, God, that says, we want to be humble, but we also want to be bold. We want to feel the urgency of the hour. We want to know
that, that today is the day of salvation. How many people have come to Christ? That's what matters most. And then, God, we do it till the very end. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, and to the one who is faithful to the point of death will be given the crown of life. And that verse says that we should all live our life on purpose every day preparing the way of the Lord for people. And to that end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.